John chapter 8 says this, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Amen. You know what? Here's what I know. There are things that grip us. There are lies of the enemy that he pours into our ears. Someone shared to me one time, hey, I believe Satan's just tall enough to whisper in your ear. And what he wants to whisper is any lie he knows that will grip you and cause you to doubt that truth that you are free indeed because of Jesus Christ. I love this song and here's why. Because I picture Jesus Christ on the cross when he sacrificed himself and he rose from the dead. The gates of the eternal kingdom were thrown open for those that are his children. And he said, come on in through me, Jesus Christ. I've paid the penalty. You are free. And and get this. There is nothing to fear because the perfect love of Jesus Christ is washed over you. It's washed over me. The gates of the kingdom have slammed behind you and you are in. Amen. Have a seat. We have more to talk about. I would love... I seriously would love to stop right there. There's, there are many reasons for that, many reasons. This is probably the first time, and I, 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 keep, I tell people, I still am trying to figure out what it's supposed to feel like the week before preaching. How am I supposed to feel regarding, is, is, is it fear and trepidation? Is it, is, it, is it excitement? Is it energy? And someone said yes. That's what you're supposed to feel. I'm still trying to figure that out. But this is one where, where it, just as I know many, many people, people have been praying over me for this message in particular, um, I've, this is the first time ever I believe I've stepped on stage not afraid. Yet. Points number one and two today are going to be easy. Points number three and four, it's already starting. Points number three and four, I, when I look back in my past, I don't feel like I have the authority to declare those. And so I'm trying to get this out of the way early so when we get there, I think I'm a little more composed. But it's really, really hard stuff when you consider that Jesus through the might and the power and the work passed on from God the Father through him to us, expects for us to be the parents he wants us to be in the lives of our children. That's an eternally big deal. And it's a big deal for each one of us. And we should take it very seriously. Hey, last September, um, we started through a series. We started walking through the book of Ephesians. In chapters 1, 2, and 3 last year, September through December, we spent a whole lot of time digging through the first three chapters that declare who we are because of Jesus Christ. It's who we are because of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says it this way. And it declares the truth of that song we just sang when it says, Even as He chose us, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Verse 5 says, In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. What an amazing truth that He had determined that you and me 
through his sovereign plan and knowledge, had determined that he would throw the gates of the kingdom open for us through Jesus Christ and usher us into his eternal kingdom. What an amazing truth. That's the declaration that we can receive in those first three chapters. Who we are because of Christ. And it's a high calling to be in his kingdom. It's not we're in, we sit down, and there we are for the rest of eternity. That's not it. It's a high calling. And in January, starting in chapter 4, we started walking through what it looks like our new life in Christ is supposed to look like. How we live now that we are His. How we live that we are His. High expectations for us now that we're in the kingdom. And we can do it because of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Word of God says about itself in Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. When the Word of God comes to bear in our lives, it pierces. As we have entered the kingdom of God, and we permit the Word of God to begin to come to bear in our lives, it does its work as it reveals to us how unworthy we are to actually be in that kingdom that we are in. And Jesus Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit, as, it pour, as His Spirit pours out on us, gives us the strength to live a life in such a way that we permit the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit to bring change in our hearts and our lives. So, let me get personal again. There are times in my relationship with the Lord as I walk with Him where all I want to hear, I need to know. Life is thrown in front of me, hardship to such a degree, all I want to know is who I am in Christ. Lord, just tell me who I am. The lies of the enemy have become louder and louder, and it seems like your voice has become softer and softer. And Lord Jesus, all I want to do right now is hear who I am in you, that I am in your kingdom. And you know what? Then there are times where life throws things in front of me, like parenting, like being a husband, for you wives, like being a wife. There are things that are thrown in front of you. Okay, Lord, I get who I am in my relationship with you. And I hear what you're saying I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to be as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother. But I need practical words to speak into how I'm actually supposed to do that. Keep in mind this letter to the church of Ephesus was intended to be read in one sitting. So the church heard it all at one time. Last September through December, we heard who we are in Christ, who we are because of Christ. Starting in January, it got a little heavier. We're hearing what we're supposed to do now that we're in his kingdom, how we're supposed to respond and act. Well, let me say this. Church participation is essential. You can't, you can't put yourself in a position where you're missing the truth that's being declared. You have to hear it all. But you know what? Sunday morning attendance is not enough. You should be in a small group where you're wrestling over these things together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what? Small group is not enough. 
You need, with the Word of God in your lap on a regular basis, be crying out to the Lord, speak to me about how I'm supposed to be for you, declaring in me who I am in you. Ultimately, you'll stand before the Lord one day and you'll have to answer. And you won't be able to point your finger at the church. You won't be able to point your finger at the small group. You're going to have to say, look, this is, this is where I missed it. It's critical that you involve yourself in the life of the church. And it's critical that you're involving yourself in the scriptures and the power that brings to you as you walk this life for Christ and for his sake. So let me put it this way. Two statements that I believe are ultra clear. As we think through what Ephesians really represents in its fullness. We cannot, and this is our desire, we cannot forsake the good news for the sake of the good dues. And we cannot forsake the good dues, what we're supposed to do for Christ, for the sake of the good news. It's a full package. It's a full package that the book of Ephesians declares to us. The good news of Jesus Christ as well as what He expects for us now that He has brought us into His eternal kingdom. The last couple of weeks, we've been in this kind of this mini-series called Spirit-Filled Relationships that began with Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 where Paul is declaring, you must be filled with the Spirit. You must be filled with the Spirit, responding to one another this way with hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says you must be filled with the Spirit. You must be filled with the Spirit because the things I'm about to tell you are absolutely impossible to do apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have, to be, you have to have the Holy Spirit in you, wife, so that you're able to submit to your husband and respect him. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, that's an impossibility for you to do it the way that Christ expects you to. Husbands, you've been called to love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving yourself up for her, laying your life down for her. That's impossible. It's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for you to carry out the things the Lord has for you to carry out in your home. So let me ask you this. When others come into your home, do they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? When I was a child, my parents would send me to, I can think of two different homes they would send me to for babysitting um, on, on weekends. There was one I was absolutely excited to go on and be a part of, their home. For a weekend. There was another that I was not. And as a child, I could not make sense of this, but this home over here felt dark, it felt cold, and I, today, I can look back and say, I did not experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in that home. I did not feel Him there, nor did I see Him being expressed. And the way the husband treated the wife, and the way the wife treated the husband, and the way they parented and treated their kids... The Holy Spirit was clearly not seen nor experienced in that home, and I didn't like being there. And this was it physically for me. I looked, 
I, as I walked past the bedroom of the mom and dad, I could see their bed. And there was, a, there was a, um, an indentation that ran the length of the bed. And so here's what it looked like to me. There was one comforter to hide the truth that represented their marriage underneath the comforter. And what it said was, I think there are two single beds underneath that comforter because they don't want their children to know they don't actually sleep in the same bed. That to me was an expression of the spirit is not alive in this house. And then you go over to, I'm going to name them, Bob and Marlene Stauffer was their name. I loved going there because I felt safe. I could see the Holy Spirit at work as the husband loved the wife, as the wife honored and respected her husband, as they parented their children, as their children's res- children responded with honor and obedience to their parents. I could sense it and I could see it and it felt safe and I loved it. My question to you is this, two questions rather. Again, when others come into your home, do they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? How do you express the presence of the Holy Spirit in your home? They're the two big questions to be answered today. I wish I could say that after message to the wives, message to the husbands, that, that Paul is lightening up and he's not. There's not Charles nor Jasper, nor I, we don't, we don't want to be the heavy. And so please don't hear us being the heavy because it's the Word of God that says it. And today is the most straightforward message I feel like I have ever preached. So ultra clear that I don't believe I need to add anything to it. Well, we should never do that. But it's that clear. So as we enter into this, let's pray and ask the Lord to lead us, all right? Father in heaven, as we come before you, it's your word, Lord, that declares the truth. It's not me, it's not Charles, it's not Jasper, it's not Bjorn, it's not any man that would stand in front of you. We recognize this truth. So I kneel before you this morning, Lord, asking that you would stand between the church and myself, that you would declare your word to them, that you would open their ears to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, help us to set aside any distraction that would be right now. Lord, speak your word to your church, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here we go, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, and this is what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so here's what we have, church. Four ways for a home to express the presence of the Holy Spirit. Four ways. Very clear. Four ways. And here's the first one. Spirit-filled children obey. Verse 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I want to simply stop right now and add nothing to it. But here's what I know. Children, obey. Parents, is that ever just enough? Children, obey. It's never enough for our kids. 
It was never enough for you when you were a child, parent, to just be told, I want you to go and do this and have no explanation. You might have obediently gone, but you were grumbling inside because you weren't provided the opportunity to speak into it. You didn't understand why. My grandfather, my grandfather was one of the most gentle and tender men I know or knew. He had, he had, he was a farmer. I grew up on a farm for the first 12, 14 years of my life. And behind the door, so my father tells me, hung a, a wore out V belt, a fan belt taken from a tractor. It was about this long and it hung behind the door. And you want to know why it was there? It was there because my father and my uncles and my aunt were not permitted to ask why when they were given a command. My grandfather was one of the most gentle and tender people I've ever met. But because of the importance of this message that the Apostle Paul is declaring to children, obey your parents, that belt hung there as a message that said, don't ask me why when I give you a command. I want you to obey. I want you to obey. I don't know that that belt was ever used. But here's what I know. His kids understood what it meant to obey without asking why. Listen to this. Listen to this. The apostle, or this is not the Apostle Paul. This is Paul Tripp. Out of his parenting book. And this little example he provides. The fights over when to go to bed, what to wear, what to watch on TV, or the condition of the child's room are not first about those issues. They are about the fundamental battle of the heart. Who will decide how I live my life? You can see this struggle even in a, in a yet wordless infant. You've fed him, you've changed him, you've sung every song in your wet repertoire, and he finally is asleep. Everyone can relate to this one. You begin tiptoeing out of the room, and just as you get to the door, you hear a loud curdling scream. And so you turn around. Your son has pushed himself up on his arms, stiffening his body. Man, I don't like that one. Stiffening his body. He stiffens his body and and is yelling for all he's worth. Do you know what he's saying in those unintelligible words? Screams, rather. This is what he's saying. Oh, no, you don't. You will not leave. I, this is what he says, I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. I am the Lord. That's what your child is saying. From the fall, it has been placed in the heart of man. It's been given to your grandparents. It's been passed to you and you're passing it to your kids. We don't want to obey And when we do, we want to decide that it's right to obey. And so we ask the question, why? Clean up your room. Why? Parent, for you, is it enough just to say, because I'm telling you to? Or do you bend and provide an explanation for why? Your kids are saying, I am the Lord, when they don't want to obey. I have an answer for you, kids. 
Look at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Here's your why. And this is where we're going to drop it. For this is right. Your obedience to your parents is right. How am I supposed to do that? In the Lord. John Piper says, The overarching purpose of children living in obedience to their parents is to display the obedience of Jesus Christ toward the Father. And so glorify the Father through His obedience. One day God is going to ask you to do something and, you, and not provide you with an answer why. Here's why it's ultra-critical, kids, children, for, for you, for us to understand why obedience. Number one, because it is a, it's an expression of Jesus Christ being in submission to God the Father as He in His love asked Jesus to go to the cross for you and for me. And in obedience, Jesus didn't ask why. Yeah, I know. He said, do I have to? Is there another way? But not my will, yours be done. He was in full submission. Your obedience to your parents is a reflection of Jesus Christ being obedient to God the Father. That's why. Number one. Number two reason. In the Lord, for this is right, this is what makes it right. Because one day, child, your parent, or your, your parent, capital P, God the Father, is going to ask you to walk through some nasty valley that is covered with a shadow of death. And he's going to say, let's go, we're going through there. And you're going to want to ask why, and he's not going to provide you an answer. He's just going to say, let's go. And I can make you this promise. If he doesn't tell you why in the moment, which often he doesn't, when you're 18 years down the road and you're able to look back, he's going to express, you're going to see exactly why. And he says, patience, child, I'll bring you the answer. I want you to obey. I want you to do it in the Lord, for this is right. That's the first way. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the best way to sum it up. But now listen to this. Obedience is something that we can do and not like it in our hearts. So let's call obedience a head-driven action. But, but to honor your father and mother, that's a heart-determined attitude. Completely different than obedience. Remember, how are you expressing children? The presence of the Holy Spirit in your home. Let's look at the second one. A second way that, that a home expresses the presence of the Holy Spirit, Spirit-filled children respect. Verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the, man, in the, in the land. This is what it means to honor. Now, I know there are children sitting in the sanctuary right now that are no longer in the house. Obedience looks way different. Honor begins when a child is able to understand the concept of honor, and it ends when your parents are no longer in your life, when they're dead. So we sit here. I'm alive today. I have kids of my own, and I still have parents. And while I'm not under their house, I still must honor them. Honor is something that goes on throughout the course of life. To honor means to show respect, to show regard with great respect, to ascribe worth and value. This is what it means to honor your parents. 
It means surprise your parents, to be proud of them, to be proud to be seen with them. I was proud to be seen with my parents. Matter of fact, some of my friends in high school wished their dad would dress like my dad did. That's a pretty silly reason to be proud of your dad, but I was nonetheless. My dad made it easy to be proud of him, and so did my mom. We're called to honor. If you think your parents are idiots, they know it. If you think that you know better, your parents know that you think that. And that is not honoring or respecting your parents. To not honor is to correct your parents. It's to speak disrespectfully to them. It's to look at them with disrespectful looks. I remember my cousin. I don't know what this meant, but I remember sitting watching him interact with my aunt. And he had glasses, and he was sitting down, and she was standing up, and she said something to him that was obey. And he turned his head, he looked over the top of his glasses, and she put his, her finger in his face and said, don't you look over the top of your glasses at me. I'm like, that was an intense moment. But listen, that was a disrespectful move that did not honor my aunt, and it was clear to everyone that was sitting in the vicinity. Do not speak disrespectfully to your parents. Don't, don't look with disrespectful looks at them. Don't pitch your parents against each other. That's a way to dishonor your parents. You get no from dad, you go to mom. That's dishonoring. This is one for us as we are adult parents out of the house. You want to disrespect your parents, you want to dishonor them, poke fun at them with your brothers and sisters. That is dishonoring to your parents. Here's another one. And the list goes on and on. And as, I, and as I read through this list that the Lord has laid on this page for me, I know you are thinking right now about how you are guilty of dishonoring your parents. Simply disregarding their counsel and expressing, I know better, is a way of dishonoring your parents. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and we're not going to turn there. This is how serious it was for Israel. The child that dishonored his parents was disobedient. God says, Israel is better off without them. Put them to death. Now, when I think about that, I'm thankful today for Jesus Christ and that he has, he has taken care of the penalty for the sin of disobedience and dishonor. I'm so thankful for that. But think in terms of you have those warnings, those Old Testament warnings like that as a guardrail for you on either side. As you look over the guardrail, you see what happens and what it looks like for those who are disobedient and dishonoring to their parents. And let them use, use them to keep you on the straight and narrow that the Lord Jesus expects out of you now that you are in his kingdom. Here are some promises. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment that it may go well with you. I want you to think about how well it goes for you when you are obedient and you honor your parents. There's a whole lot more peace in the home, isn't there? That you may live long in the land. My late wife of 29 years died at the age of 29, and her mom could not make sense of it. She was the one that honored my she was the one that honored me the most. Yet she died at the age of 29. Here's what this means. 
as you honor, as my grandfather honored his parents, that was an act that was passed to my grandfather. As my, grand, as my father honored him, it was passed from that generation to the next. It's Psalm 141, or excuse me, it's Psalm 145. It's one generation commending the last works through Jesus Christ to the next. It's a passing on from one generation to the next. That's what that means. That it may go well with you. That your next generation will understand what it means to honor. Children, what keeps you from honoring your parents? What keeps you from honoring your parents? Verse 2 says that you're to honor your father and mother. It's a simple command. You don't need to know why. You just need to know that you're being told to do it. This is where it gets really, really interesting, church. Here's a third way a home expresses the presence of the Spirit. You just talk to kids, Spirit-filled kids. Spirit-filled kids obey and they honor. But this is for Spirit-filled parents. This is for us who have children. Spirit-filled parents do not provoke. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, while it says fathers, as you follow the flow of the passage, the intention is also moms. Mothers, you're not exempt from this. This, is, this applies to you as well. What does it mean to provoke? It means to needle to anger and impatience. It's a father or a mother who is seldom satisfied it's ones that are heavy with correction and light with encouragement. It's fathers who are harsh with their mothers and likewise mothers harsh with their fathers and in front of their children. It's parents who try to force their kids, force their faith on their kids. It's moms and dads who are inconsistent and in disagreement when it comes to discipline. This is what, this is what exasperates children. This is what provokes them to wrath. Do not exasperate your children, the NIV says. And this is the most clear, this is the one that makes most sense to me. I get what it is to exasperate. I get what it is to provoke my kids to anger. But the New English Bible says it this way. Do not goad your children to resentment. You know what a goad is. A goad is an instrument, a long stick with a pointy end intended to keep the oxen in line as they were cultivating a field. That's what a goad is. Let me bring it to modern day. Grew up on a farm, 12 to 14 years of age. First 12 to 14 years. We had, we had a modern day version of that. It was about this long, and it was called a prod. And on the end of it were two little wires, rods, sticking out of this long thing. And the whole thing was filled with double, or excuse me, D batteries. So imagine a police's mag light, except a whole lot longer, and it had the capacity to shock. That's what it was. I never saw my gentle grandfather use it, but I know what its intention was. I saw an angry farmer that I worked with in college, and, I, and I, like, as I was laying this out for the staff, Jasper said, you have to be this graphic. And so I'm like, okay. I worked for a pig farmer in college. I saw the wrath of a farmer who could not control his anger. As a, as a pig, as a 400-pound sow, was to be getting into its chute in order to give birth. It's, it's a silly pig. It doesn't know it's left from its right. 
I saw him take his instrument to prod and jump on the back of that animal and beat it in the face because it wouldn't do what he told it to do. Dads and moms, the Lord has given us gentle instruments to goad and direct our children. How often are you guilty of taking that instrument that he has given you and you drive your children to discouragement because life is not going exactly the way you think it should. Your kids are not behaving the way you believe they should. I talked to a guy this past week. He said he had to fall on his knees before his child and seek the mercy of the Lord for the way he treated his son. Clinton Arnold says this, This passage teaches that parents need to exercise a sensitivity and care in how they interact with their children, and especially in how they discipline them. Parents should carefully weigh the potential impact of their words and their actions before responding to their children. This passage effectively rules out this, reactionary flare-ups, overly harsh words, insults, sarcasm, nagging, demeaning comments, inappropriate teasing, unreasonable demands, and anything else that can be perceived as provocative. You can write your own blank at the end of that, and you think right now, parent, how am I guilty of provoking my children to wrath? How am I guilty of provoking my children to discouragement? God the Father is not an exasperator of His children. He is not. He is not an exasperator of His children. Psalm 103 says this of Him. And so when you look at your children, I want you to look as though you were God the Father looking down on His children. Psalm 103 says that He is merciful and He is gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He doesn't treat us, He doesn't treat you, He doesn't treat me as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for you. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you, from me. This is the heart attitude with which we should approach our children, just as God the Father does as he approaches us, with that tenderness and care and compassion, ready to forgive and set aside all the offenses that you bring to him. That's the way you should be approaching your kids. I have a word for you here. I married Wendy when her three oldest sons to her late husband were six, ten, and twelve, I think. And I came in, head at my head, I'm going to set things in order. And 18 years later, I look back and I say, shame on me. So here's my word for you, parents. Pray to the Lord that he protects your children 
from the moments where you, you have the potential to exasperate them and you act out. Because He will honor that prayer. And I am eternally thankful for that. Pray that the Lord would protect your kids from your wrath. And listen, if you don't get this one right, don't even bother with the next point that we're going to roll into. Because here's why. Your words don't carry near the weight that your actions do. There's a proverb that says, you train your child up in the way he should go, and that's the way he's going to go. So if you're training your children to be angry and impatient, guess what they're going to be? Even though you're saying you shouldn't be angry, you shouldn't be impatient, the things you do to your kids are going to speak louder than what you say to them. So if you don't get this one, number three in order, not provoking your kids to wrath, then number four will never carry any weight between you and your children. Number four is this. Spirit-filled parents disciple their children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dale, another biblical commentator, says this. This is the highest duty of Christian parents. Parents should be careful and they should care more for the loyalty of their children to the person of Jesus Christ than to themselves. It should be more important than wealth, than your kids being wealthy, than their intellectual vigor, than their brilliance, their material prosperity, their social position, their exemption from great sorrows and great misfortune. Their relationship with Jesus Christ is paramount far more important than your relationship with them. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is first importance. You want to know how to, dis- to disciple your child? Do you want to know how to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Listen to this, church. We, my natural tendency, and I believe it's probably yours too, is to go to the do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. How about we do this for a change? How about instead... We reveal to them what is of first importance according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and now we are in relationship with Him. You want to train your child up in the right way? Express to them, model for them what it looks like to have a loving and an active relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. If you go back to September, that was one of our greatest concerns for the life of this church. One of our greatest concerns was this, that we had become a church. Let me get the passage in front of me. Second, Revelation chapter 2, the letter to the church of Ephesus, this is what it says. I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And he says, repent and return to that. Last September, first Sunday of the month, not Labor Day weekend, this is what we said. Hey church, we are afraid that we have become a church hyper-focused on what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And so we went to the book of Ephesians and we were like, let's preach on who we are in Jesus Christ. If you want your kids to know what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do, understand this, you are creating, you are leading a next generation of church leaders and church people. 
who are going to be con- more concerned with receiving the praise for what they have done and not done instead of reveling in the relationship that Jesus Christ longs to have with them. Some of you are afraid to rightly cross your children for fear of breaking relationship with them. Remember, remember this. Your, your child's relationship with Jesus Christ makes all else pale in comparison. If you say a hard truth to your child and they can't receive it and it breaks relationship with you, what you need to remember in that moment is God's way is always better than my way. His way is always better than my way. Eternity should always be in focus, not the here and now. Your child will love you. They will love you with a selfless and eternal love if you parent them in such a way that they're brought into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Really, who cares about 80 years on life if it means eternity? Do not be afraid to break your child's spirit and their heart because we know it's set on disobedience. So let me end with this, church. Big question again. As you think in terms of your home, when people walk into your home, do they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? And then let's make it personal. How are you, child? How are you, mom? How are you, dad? Personally expressing the presence of the Holy Spirit in your home. Remember this. A heart changed by God leads to a life changed for God. Let's get after the hearts of our children, church, and trust Him to bring a behavior that's going to honor and glorify Him. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Why? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father in heaven, may your word come to bear in the hearts and the lives of your church. Lord Jesus, if there is a broken home, if there are children that are out of line, if there are parents that are exasperating their kids, Lord, I pray, I pray now that you would bring repentance. Remind us often, Lord Jesus, that we are in your kingdom. That we are in your kingdom. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be at your feet in obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.